This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. How's everyone doing tonight? Excellent, excellent. Very good job, worship team. Thank you so much. Well, uh, tonight, like my brother said, uh, Pastor and Mrs. Pastor are still out of town in Alaska. And uh, as great of a job as Pastor Dave did on Sunday, they felt that his message did not have enough beard in it. So they asked me to speak tonight. Because even though we're wearing the same shirt, uh, I bring about 85% more beard with my message. Because all he has is... Uh, I don't know. Sorry, sorry. No, I don't know. I know. Oh, great. Now he's going to get me on Sunday. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I'm just glad to be here. I'm really excited to be able to, uh, for the message I have to bring to you guys tonight. But uh, before we get started, I wanted to, uh, to show you guys a quick video real quick. And uh, the reason really is because uh, I currently have a two-year-old at home. And uh, he's in that mode where he, if he finds a, a television show that he likes, he just wants to watch the same thing over and over and over again. And so I decided... Uh, if he's going to watch the same thing over and over again, it has to be something that I can, can semi-tolerate, and it has to be something that uh, provides morals. So at my house, for like the last month, we have had VeggieTales on a non-stop circle. And so uh, in order for you all to share uh, in my joy or my pain or however, I want you to just take a minute and watch this video with me. So, uh, yeah, that... Uh, that's my video. Uh, and uh, I'm going to try to loosely tie it in with what I'm speaking about tonight, which is how to punch the blues right in the face. So we're going to learn how to punch the blues right in the face tonight. And uh, other than the video, the real way that I was kind of coming up with this message is, uh, I think it was yesterday, I was trying to spend some time in the Word praying figuring out uh, what exactly I wanted to, to preach on tonight. And uh, in the middle of my sermon prep, I got really hungry, and Julie was still sleeping, taking care of the babies and whatnot. And so uh, I decided I was going to get up and make myself breakfast. And uh, Julie has this really good breakfast that she makes for me. Uh, it's called migas. And uh, in California, they call it chili killies, I think. But it's this, pretty much the same thing. Uh, for the white folk, it's basically scrambled eggs with pieces of tortilla. I see my brother there looks very bewildered. <laughs> and so I, I was really excited. She's made it a million times. I've watched her make it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can do that. doesn't look too hard to screw up. Uh, but sure enough, I screwed it up. I don't, I don't know how I did it. But uh, the tortilla pieces dissolved. I just had a big, mushy, nasty mess. Um, and then I was trying to surprise her, give her some breakfast and stuff. She, and uh, she comes out and sees her surprise breakfast, and she just wouldn't even touch it. She had nothing to do with my supposed-to-be-amazing breakfast. I see her making comments over there. Um, and so, I was for a moment, I was just kind of walking around the house, wallowing in self-pity. I was real, you know, man, how do you mess up Migos? It's like scrambled eggs with pieces of tortilla. And I... Uh, I was kind of, I guess, feeling the blues for a minute. But then the Lord kind of started speaking to me a little bit. And He showed me, uh, you know, I'm not the only one who faces the blues. Some of you probably have the real blues. Mine were probably more imagined blues because 
you know, the eggs I got for 75 cents a dozen at Food for Less, you know. For 75 cents, I can try it again. <laughs> but the Lord began showing me how to beat these blues. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, but before I get started, I want to go ahead and pray because I don't like to do anything without having the Lord's help. So if you wouldn't all mind, let's bow our heads. Father God, in Jesus' name, I just love you, Lord God, and I, I'm thankful, Lord, for the words that you've given me. I'm thankful that you've given us your holy written word, and that's what we can live off of, Lord, and it helps us in every single situation in life. Now, tonight, as I speak, Lord, I ask that you would just give me the correct words to speak, Lord God, and anything that is not of you, I ask that you would just have it fall to the ground, because we know that you're, in the end, your word is all that matters, and your word does not return void. It always accomplishes what you would have it to do. So just have your way in this message tonight and in all we do for the rest of the night. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, as I was thinking about how would we beat the blues, in order to beat the blues or really anything, if you're going to beat anything at all, you need strength. So, biblically, and uh, I'm going to... You can feel free to shout it out if you, if you have any answers. There's no right or wrong answers. But biblically, where would you say that we get strength? Jesus? The Word? What else? Worship? Anyone else? Didn't... What's... In church? Yeah? Yeah. Um, and these are all real good answers, and they're all right answers. The one I kind of wanted to focus on tonight, uh, if we can all flip over to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. And my preaching style is anytime I have you flip to a verse, I awkwardly take a drink of water to give you time to turn. So forgive me for... And uh, my water bottle doesn't fit up here, so I'll be uh, doing one of these numbers every few minutes. All right, Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 10, and we're just going to look at the second half of the verse, although the whole verse is good. And it says, don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So according to this scripture here, joy is equal to strength. Joy is the equivalent to strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So we get strength from being joyful. So the main thing we're going to talk about tonight is how do we get joy? How do we get joy so that we have strength to punch the blues right in the face? (laughs) The number one way that I say we get joy is that we need to love Jesus. We need to love Jesus. Now, Uh, Let's flip over to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. Get my water. And every time I set the water down, it makes that little clink sound because there's no carpet. So I apologize if, if you're offended by clink sounds. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 uh, and this is, uh, this is one of the more famous passages in the Bible. It says, Jesus replied, 
You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So, if Jesus is not your first priority, you can never have true joy. You can never have true, full joy in your life. And everything I'm going to talk about for the rest of the night, we're going to kind of go on the presumption that all of us love God and have received His salvation. And uh, if you haven't received Jesus and His salvation, then after service you can talk to me or any of the pastors or any of the staff. Or, to be perfectly honest, you can probably talk to anybody sitting around you and they'll be glad to introduce you to Jesus so that you can know Him, so that you can love Him, so that you can have this full joy we're talking about. But the Bible talks over and over and over again about there being joy in having salvation. I could have, there's dozens of verses I could have picked, but the, the one I chose is Psalm 35. In fact, you can flip over there if you want. Psalm 35, it just talks about the joy that we have in our salvation. Psalm chapter 35, and down in verse 9. And like I said, there, this is one verse. If you have another one that says the same thing, there are literally dozens of them. Because it's a concept that's consistent throughout the whole Bible. It says, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in His salvation. So having that salvation, you're joyful or full of joy, and you can rejoice in your salvation. Now, if you don't have Jesus, I don't. Maybe you've, you're a happy person, but you can never just be truly, completely full of joy because you can never have that full, true joy without Jesus. But that's not my main point tonight. We're going to go, like I said, off the, on the assumption that we all love Jesus, and just taking that as our baseline, as our assumption. Our next point is, if you want to truly have joy, you need to love others. You need to love others. Uh, this, and this one, I spent a lot of time on this point, because uh, as I was researching this point, I know I, know I, I think this, thought this way until I took the time to study it, and probably a lot of you do too. We hear of the twelve disciples, and we think that they are just super holy and and perfect, and they always were happy, and they always just, they were hanging out with Jesus all the time, so they must have all got along all the time and just loved each other. But when I started reading the scriptures, I found out that uh, the scriptures kind of show almost the opposite a lot of times. Uh, On the contrary, a lot of times they focused completely on themselves, and they bickered and argued, And it's funny, the thing that they kept arguing over was, ironically, who was the best disciple. They were constantly arguing over who was the best disciple. Um, Flip over to Matthew chapter 18. It's kind of a little progression that I see as as I was looking through, that I saw them working through. Uh, In Matthew chapter 18, they uh, I don't know if they're trying to be sneaky or what, they're trying to be real subtle and get Jesus... uh, to tell them something. So, 
Matthew chapter 18. Let me get my, get my water real quick. And then uh, look at, we'll start at the very first, first verse, verse 1. It says, About that time, the, G- the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And as I was reading this, I was wondering, you know, I don't know what they were expecting him to answer. I don't know if maybe they were wanting a list of all twelve disciples from best to worst or what, because they're asking, you know, who's the greatest out of all of us? Verse 2, though, Jesus, it says, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he's telling them you have to be humble. You have to be like a child in order to be the greatest. But they didn't quite get it. And uh, flip over to Mark chapter 9. They just refused to let this issue of who was the best disciple drop. And... uh, it actually went from them trying to be sneaky and get Jesus to just say, well, I don't know what they're thinking. Jesus is going to say, I like Peter, James, and John, and then we'll put Bartholomew at the bottom, you know. Nobody likes Bartholomew. I don't know what they're expecting, but they wouldn't let it drop. So in Mark chapter 9, uh, look at verse 33, and I'm going to read this one in the NIV. It says, They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing back there on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. So here they are arguing once again amongst each other about who's the greatest disciple. Because this, I heard another pastor say, uh, these uh, 12 men obviously didn't have self-esteem issues because they, they they were constantly arguing about, no, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. You know, while they're walking down the road with Jesus. (laughs) And once again, he has to set them straight. Verse 35, it says, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So once again, it's the same concept. You have to be like a child. You have to be a servant. That's how you become the greatest. Now, when Jesus told them that they must become like little children, I think that they got confused in the way that they were supposed to be like little children. Because, uh, look over uh, back to Matthew, but look at chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, we're going to see that uh, they realized, hey, we're supposed to act like little children. So they pulled a play right out of the second grade playbook. They didn't like the answer they were getting from Jesus when they kept asking him who was going to be the greatest. And so they thought they'd be sneaky. And two of the disciples put their mom up to asking Jesus who is the greatest. Look at this. uh, In verse 20, it says, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully 
to ask a favor. So she, they put their mom up to it, their sweet old mom, the, the mothers of Zebedee, and they're going to have her ask Jesus, because maybe, maybe she'll give, he'll give her the real answer, which they've been looking for, is they want him to say that, you know, Peter, James, and John are the greatest, and the rest of you all, nobody even remembers your names. Uh, verse 21, he said, What is your request? He asked. She replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now, obviously, the other disciples saw right through this. They knew that James and John had put their mother up to this, and it wasn't just their sweet old mother trying to to ask a favor of Jesus. The other disciples put her up to this. Verse 20... uh, Verse 24, it says, When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Obviously they're mad because they've, they've been arguing this whole time about who's the greatest. And once again, Jesus is going to have to set them straight, which uh, he spent uh, a lot of his ministry here on earth was just correcting the disciples and their, uh, their ignorance. In fact, I thought it was funny, at one point... Uh, he asked the rhetorical question. They had asked him some stupid question, and he said, oh, how much longer am I going to be stuck with you people? He literally said that if you read through, through the Gospels. No. Verse 25, sorry. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. And that's because we've all seen it before. People's natural tendency is if they get a little bit of authority or power, they like to let it go to their head a lot of times. And uh, forgive me for one second, I, I have to share a story that doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but uh, I was telling Julie, uh, when I was in college, I had to take an economics class, and I didn't learn a whole lot about economics, because I had this professor who, he's an older guy, and he just told stupid jokes the entire semester instead of teaching us economics. And one of his favorites that he told us, which kind of ties in with that scripture, he told us, all of us, he's like, uh, you guys, you men in the, uh, in the class, when you get married, you need to be careful. Um, you can't let your wife take an inch or she'll think she's a ruler. <laughs> and that's about the, that, that, that's the correct response. Thank you for the correct response. Which is the response that he got. But that is people's natural tendency. If they get any authority, they let it go to their heads. <laughs> Sorry, Julian. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll pay for that one later. I don't know. I have a nice wife. Amen. <laughs> Verse 26. So uh, he just told us how the natural tendency is. But he says, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And here's the key verse. For even the Son of Man, which is Jesus himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's the key right there. We're not, to be, we're not here in this life to be served. We're supposed to serve others. And coincidentally, this is why uh, sometimes you'll see us announce it. We have a monthly leadership meeting for the church that everybody's invited to. 
the name of this leadership group that we have is called servant leaders. Because in the body of Christ, if you really want to be a leader, which is what Jesus just said, you have to be a servant. Jesus told them over and over that they're required to serve. Now, obviously we're all required to serve Jesus, but that's not specifically what he's saying here. Because it's a given that we're all required to serve Jesus. But what he kept saying over and over is that we're specifically required to serve others, to serve each other. And I think some people get confused on this sometimes because they'll say that they're called, they feel a calling on their life to serve the Lord. And I, uh, my brother and I have grown up with my parents in ministry my whole life. And uh, usually anybody comes up and tells us that they feel like they're called to serve the Lord. It's almost always in a position of prominence. They want to be up here preaching. They want to be up there singing. They want to do something in front of people. But if we're really called to serve, then we don't care what our position is. Because think about it. If a, a servant or a slave, they do what they're asked to do. And that isn't always necessarily what they want to do, but they have to do what they're asked. So that's why a true Christian servant doesn't get upset when we sit, tell them, you know, hey, you know, we've got enough singers at the moment, we've got enough preachers, but you know where we could really use help is like tonight, for example, and this uh, uh, after service, we need help putting some of these chairs away so we can get carpet in. A true servant will jump at that chance. And the thing I've noticed in ministry is these people that are called to serve the Lord or whatever, usually when you need help stacking chairs or something, they're suddenly too busy. <laughs> Which lets you know that they're not really serving the Lord. They're just wanting to get up here and, and get in front of people or whatever. A true Christian servant doesn't get upset when they have to do something that they don't really want to do. They just do it because they're a servant and that's what servants do. And for the disciples, these uh, people we've been making fun of for the last few minutes, somewhere along the way it did finally click with them because they all ultimately very selflessly died for the Lord. They, uh, they served the Lord, and most of them died horrible deaths. But they did it with great joy. With great joy. Uh, flip over real quick to Acts 5, and, and I'll tell you about this one. I like this one because uh, Julie and I were actually doing a... a and I'll be honest, we don't always do family Bible studies, but uh, we try to as often as we can. We, read our, we both read our Bibles pretty much every day. But on Saturdays, we try to get together and study the Bible together for a little bit. And we were studying through Acts chapter 5, and I thought this scripture was kind of ironic. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, the uh, disciples are going around doing lots of miracles, just like Jesus, he told them, you know, that you'll do many signs in my name. And, and we, of course, coming to this church, we know that applies to all who believe. So they're doing all kinds of miracles. And much like with Jesus, doing these miracles completely ticked off the religious leaders of the day. It ticked them off so much that they had the disciples arrested and beaten. And these, 
These were uh, pretty severe beatings that they gave back then. We won't go into much about that, but me and Julie were reading about this beating, and then uh, it was kind of funny. We got to down to where they uh, they finally the, they get released, and they go from jail or whatever from their beating, and they go back to talk about it. And I and I'm figuring, you know, they're probably going to get together and just oh man. Man, that was terrible. I can't believe we got beat just because we served Jesus. And, you know, that's probably what most of us, that's probably what I would do is just, once again, wallow in self-pity about how terrible it is that we just got beat. But look in verse 41, how they reacted to just getting beat. It says, The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. So their days of arguing over who was the best disciple at this point were gone. Because they found out that when they're serving Jesus, serving others, that's when you really have that true joy. And going right along with this, something Pastor Dave always talks about is uh, something we need to realize. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. And the reason for that is because happiness is completely dependent on your circumstances. Your happiness depends on what's going on around you, what's going on in your life at the time, whereas joy is not. For example, if it's, let's say it's my birthday and uh, I'm eating a giant birthday burrito, which is what, uh, if anybody wants to know what to get me for my birthday, uh, Giant birthday burrito is at the top of the list. (laughs) But let's say I'm eating this giant birthday burrito, and then I polish it off with three or four slices of Tres Leches cake, which is my all-time... If you ever want to know what kind of cake to get me, Tres Leches cake is the one. So, while I'm eating my burrito and cake, I am momentarily very, very happy. Yes, I am. Yeah. My family knows because I'm the only one in my family that likes Tres Leches cake. And every birthday, I make them eat Tres Leches cake with me. (laughs) But anyways, that's my momentary happiness. But after eating all that food, later on, when I'm laying down with the bubble guts, regretting eating three or four slices of Tres Leches cake and a giant birthday burrito, I'm not nearly as happy. And that's because happiness is dependent on your circumstances, how you're feeling at the moment. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But joy, the joy of the Lord, is completely uh, independent of circumstances. The joy of the Lord has nothing to do with what's going on around you. You could... Your life could be going terrible, your life could be going great, but you can still have the joy of the Lord. Uh, Something else that Pastor Dave always talks about is uh, the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is not a huge book in the Bible, but it's known as the joy epistle or, or the book of joy. And it's known as that because the overriding theme of that book is joy. He's constantly talking about being joyful, rejoice in the Lord always. But if you, if you research church history, you know, you would think as much as he's talking about joy, 
Life must have been all rainbows and lollipops as he's writing this. He must have been having such a great time. But if you look through church history, this book was actually written while he was in, uh, was in prison. They had put him in prison for serving the Lord, which is, for most of us, that's not too great of a day. Hopefully for all of us, that's not too great of a day. But instead of writing about, you know, writing to the, to the church about how much his life stunk because he's in prison, he just keeps telling them over and over and over again that they need to be joyful, be happy. Because your joy does not depend on your circumstances. And ultimately here, our example is Jesus. Let's flip over real quick to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And this is where Jesus, uh, he's going to show an example of, of his joy. Hebrews chapter 12. And look over at verse 2. It says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And what this talks about is that Jesus was able to endure and pass through the torture of the cross. And ironically, the the cross... Since uh, he was a human, and even though he was God, he was human at the same time, the cross was something he really, 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 really did not want to go through. In fact, uh, right before they uh, arrested him, he prayed and, and begged the Lord, you know, if there's anything else other than this cross that, that I can do, sign me up. I'd rather do that than the cross. But this scripture tells us that he was able to go through the cross by focusing on others. It says, uh, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. And the joy that was awaiting him is that he was able to save all of us. He was able to serve all of us by saving us. That's how he loved us. And that's what got him through the cross. That got him through his temporary trial and, 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 and tribulation was by focusing not on himself, but by focusing on us, by focusing on others. And that's our true example. So if we want this true joy, of course, we've got to focus on Jesus. That was number one. Number two, we've got to focus on others. The third thing we need for true joy is we need to learn to love ourselves or to love yourself. Let's flip over back to Matthew chapter 22. And uh, I told you earlier, this is one of the more famous passages in the Bible. And you may have noticed that I left off the last verse when we were reading it earlier. And I kind of did that on purpose because I didn't want to reveal everything all at once. Got to save something for the end. Matthew 22, uh, verse 37, we'll, we'll read there again. It says, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. And we're all familiar with this. This is the golden rule. Everybody knows this. Even people that don't necessarily know that Jesus is the one that gave the golden rule know what the golden rule is. You know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. But I want to focus just for our last couple of minutes on something different here that we may not always think about. If we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves, the implication is that at some level we need to love ourselves. And it kind of... Flip over to Ephesians 5. I want to show us one way that that we can love ourselves. Because, you know, you have to... If you don't love yourself, then you probably would be wallowing around in self-pity and depression and blues all the time. In Ephesians chapter 5, um, and this scripture, the first part of this scripture is, is very specifically talking to husbands. And just one real, real, real quick side note. Uh, a lot of people, i sorry, I'm getting close on time, but I will still get us out of here on time. This scripture is talking to husbands, and the ones before it are talking to wives. As I've, uh, Julie and I lead the marrieds group around here, uh, and we've, we know we've talked to different couples before. Something I've noticed is that uh, our natural tendency as husbands and wives is we like to focus on the other person. So if it says that uh, wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, it, it always addresses that scripture to the wives. It says, wives, which means that only the wives at this point should be listening, submit to your husbands. But where we get confused, I think maybe us men do more than anything else, we see this and we take it to mean that as men it's our job to make sure that our wives submit to us. And that's not what it says. When it says wives, it's not talking to the husbands anymore. So that means you can just butt out for a minute. So he says wives, the husbands can just earmuffs because that's none of your business. Wives, submit to your husband. We're not required to make our wives submit. And uh, this verse 28 we're going to read in just a second. It talks about husbands need to love their wives. And and once again, when it says husbands, at that point, the wives can just earmuff it because he's not talking to you. He's talking to the husbands. So the husband's job is to love his wife. It's not his job to make sure she submits. The wife's job is to submit to her husband. It's not her job to make sure that her husband loves you. You need to focus on yourself. Sorry, getting late on time. But I just want to... A lot of people get confused there. They think it's their job to make, you know, well, I'm not going to love my wife because she's not submitting to me or whatever. And that's not what it says. You love your wife no matter what. You, when it says wives, you don't even read that scripture. It's not addressed to you. Verse 28. It says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. And then this verse 29 kind of speaks a little bit more generally. It says, No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. So if we're going to love ourselves, what this says is we need to feed and take care of ourselves. So if all you do is sit at home on the couch, playing video games, watching Netflix, eating junk food, then I bet you've got some blues going on. Because you're just sitting at home not doing anything. So, maybe start by trying to eat a little bit better or healthier. And once again, I'm Mr. Birthday Burrito Guy. I'm definitely preaching to myself here. (laughs) 
Start getting up, getting out of the house, moving around, getting active. And uh, if you don't know of any ways to get out of the house, I've got a real good suggestion for you that goes right along with what we've been talking about all night. If you don't have anything else, come over here to the church and volunteer. We can always need help. We always need help cleaning, yard work. If you come over here, we'll find something to do, and it'll get you out of the house. Uh, one, one last quick little story. Uh, I don't want to share all of uh, Brother Lawrence's testimony, but he was giving us a little bit of testimony uh, Saturday in men's meeting. In fact, uh, for all of you men who weren't at the men's meeting, shame on you. We should all come to the men's meeting. There was really good food there, too. And I'm, tr- I'm trying to, to do what I say, so I, there was lots of leftovers, because I only ate one plate, which is usually I eat two or three plates. Anyways, but Lawrence, Brother Lawrence was teaching, and he talked about uh, he had just had a real bad situation with his job. He was demoted, uh, uh, and they cut his pay, several dollars an hour off his pay. And so he was real tempted to stay at home and wallow in, in self-pity, which is what a lot of us, most of us would probably do. But the pastor, my, my dad pastor, challenged him that he needed to get out of the house and step up his serving. And so he got out of the house, and uh, I, I actually remember the day uh, Julie uh, got a, a text message. Uh, Lawrence texted her, wanted to know what he could uh, do over here at the church to help her. And, and so we're like, huh. And so she's like, well, you know what, I could use... I could use uh, help vacuuming or whatever. I don't remember what it was. And so Lawrence just started stepping out of his box and coming over here and vacuuming, which, you know, he does get up here and preach a lot of times and he does a great job, but that's not getting in front of people and preaching. That's coming in like on a, a Saturday when no one's here and vacuuming by yourself. And what he was sharing is that he found that that was a good time to just spend alone praying, worshiping the Lord, at the same time helping the church out a little bit. And he'll share his testimony, I'm sure, very soon. But end of the story is uh, he started serving, and within not very long after that, he got his position back, he got his raise back, uh, he got his hours back. Because when they when they demoted him, they gave him like the worst possible shift, where he could never be in church. He had terrible hours, couldn't see his family or anything. He got his hours back, he got his job back, and now he's back blessed. He's back there serving tonight. So. So yeah, amen, amen. So get out of the house and serve, and that will help you to love yourself. It'll get you to focus the focus off of yourself. So in order to punch the blues right in the face, we need strength, which comes from the joy of the Lord. And joy, we've just saw, it comes from loving Jesus, loving others, and loving yourself. And if you look up there on the screen, something I learned in, uh, in Sunday school is that if you put those letters together, Jesus, Heather's you, it spells out joy. Oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> Anyways, that, that's all I've got. Sorry, I went a little bit longer than I wanted. But let's all, let's all stand up. We're going to sing some songs together. Where's, uh, where'd my team go? I could have swore I saw the team walk up a minute ago. They'll be coming. There they are. <laughs> but we're going to sing together. Uh, if you need prayer for anything at all tonight, you can come up, see... Uh, we'll have our prayer team up. I'll ask my wife if she can come with me. Come up uh, to any of us. We'd love to pray for you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.